0: Hello, chefs. This is Chef's PSA podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, this is going to be a fun one 2024 food trends. Stay tuned. This episode of Chef's PSA is sponsored by JR Grills and Smokers. I use JR Smokers and Grills for over five years as a chef, and I could tell you. There's a huge difference between cooking over live fire or smoking with wood than using gas. There's only one way to get that real wood flavor. And now they've just added the JNR Vault holding cabinet. It'll be the last holding cabinet you'll ever need. It's built with 14 gauge stainless steel interior. It's ultra durable. It has precise electronic temperature control. It's going to outlast all those other holding cabinets that you've used and always break down. They build everything in Texas and ship to all 50 states and over 50 countries. And right now, if you order before December 31st, 2023, you're going to receive 25% off plus free shipping. JNOR will stand with you. They've always stood with me. Go to JRManufacturing.com forward slash vault. Before we get started, let me give you a brief update. I'm still working on the book, Bad Cooks Everywhere. It should be out early January. A lot of you have been asking. I'm working hard on it. I'm also working on a couple of other free ebook, which I was hoping to have in time for Christmas, but that's not gonna happen. But I will have them also out early next year. Those are coming up. If you wanna support the show, you know what to do. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure you leave five stars and hit the subscribe button. Same thing if you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe, follow, like, share. And of course, go to chefspsa.com where you can get all the books, all the merch, including this hoodie, this hat, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals book, Kitchen Art of War, Bad Sue Good Chef, Line Cook Survival Manual, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, as well as the free eBooks, Food Cost Mastery, Critical Path to Opening Up a Restaurant, Your Culinary Dictionary, and you know, I mean, all those free eBooks. Go get them; they're free. You could also give me money. You don't—they don't have to be free. If you feel like being generous, it is Christmas. Anyway, we digress. Let's get into it. So today's episode is 2024 food trends outlook. Now, how did I come up with these food trends? What research did I do? Well, I'll tell you the research I did is I talked to chefs. I have friends that are chefs and I talked to a lot of different chefs. Some of them are very high end chefs in the Michelin world, James Beard Award winners, as well as other just industry friends people that are chefs, people that message me on Chef's PSA, as well as podcaster chef friends. Shout out to Emmanuel LaRoche from Flavors Unknown. We had a long conversation about 2024. He gave me some good insights, as well as Chef David Susio from the Susio Talk podcast also gave me some ideas as well. So all the chefs that contributed, I appreciate it. But ultimately, this is kind of what I think. So I did this, and I'm guessing. But I think I have a pretty good pulse on the industry. I talk to a lot of people and I spend most of the my time looking at things like that because I have stepped away from the kitchen so it allows me to step back and see things from a different vantage point. So with that being said, what is my outlook for 2024? What do I think the next big food and industry trends will be? And by the way, I said food trends, but they're not all food trends. A lot of them are just industry trends and the direction that I see the culinary restaurant world moving towards. I also put up a few posts on Chef's PSA Instagram page, giving a little preview of what these are. So some of you have already started getting the wheels turning on this, but I have a few that I didn't share. The first one I want to talk about is the four-day workweek model. Now, I've talked about this on the previous two episodes, just sticking my toe in the water, wanting to understand it more. And it's interesting, I was talking to a chef friend of mine because I've talked to a few chefs that love this idea. They said it's increased retention and has really helped their business model. However, I've talked to another chef, good friend of mine, and he says he operates on the four day business model and none of his cooks like it. They all want more hours, they all want more days. And if anything, they've become slightly less engaged due to the four day model. He says they're not learning as much. Again, different perspective. I'm not sure what's right and what's wrong. It's still so very new. Another chef friend of mine, he's not supportive of the four day model, because it doesn't work for every restaurant. A lot of the chefs that do it, they can do it because they have an overabundance of staff, but those places that can't get staff and are struggling or work in settings where there's benefits, where every full-time employee FTE hits a certain benefit line item, there's ownership involved. It's not so easy to make the transition to a four-day workweek model. What do I see happening? My personal opinion is that it's not gonna go away, at least not yet. I think a lot of restaurants and chefs are going to use this as a competitive advantage to attract talent. I think a lot of people are asking for it because they want that balance of life. And I also think it's going to open up the door for people that can maneuver much more quickly and adopt this to position themselves in the marketplace to attract and retain talent and displace talent from those people that can't be as nimble as they are. It's interesting. I'm very curious how this is going to play out. I'm watching from the sidelines. I of course want everyone to win, especially if you listen to Chef's PSA. I want those people to win more. But it's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on because it's been a bigger conversation than I realized, especially as we move into 2024. A lot of chefs are already moving on this quickly, and a lot of chefs are reaping the benefits or paying the consequences of not. So we'll see how this goes. Right now, I'm unsure how I feel about it. The next one is something that you all have heard me talk about a lot is AI and administration. I'm working on a few AI bots, chat bots for food cost, for menu engineering, for menu writing, because I do see this displacing a lot of the admin work that the chefs have to do. It's not going to completely take chefs out of the office, but it will displace the amount of time that you spend in the office and put you in the kitchen much more, at least much more than they currently are. Some chefs come in, their admin work is a full-time job, eight hours a day in the office, and very little kitchen time. I think this will cut that amount of time in half. Now, it doesn't mean that chefs aren't gonna find an excuse to go back into the office to work on more admin because they are rusty, but I, I do think with AI, it's going to displace a lot of the admin work. I also see it being a good resource for people that wanna use it for building websites, social content creation, You know, getting rid of marketing and PR firms and learning how to do it in-house. A lot of the outsourcing for sales, marketing, accounting software, food cost software, administrative assistance, I think a lot of that is going to get put on the side or or potentially just disappear in certain areas because AI can do it much more efficient. And for a $20 subscription to OpenAI's ChatGPT or Grok on Twitter, whatever you're paying, it'll save you thousands of dollars paying firms that are doing it for you. And maybe you just hire one person on property to be the AI specialist that now can handle all those things. That's a good position, actually. Every, this is my new prediction. I just thought of it right now. Every restaurant needs an AI specialist that can now do the work of five people and potentially downsize the amount of outsourcing you're doing for sales and marketing and advertising and all that, social media, whatever. I'm blown away with what you could do with AI. All the little comic images that you see on uh, Chef's PSA Instagram, I make those with AI. I make them daily and it's quick. I've become quite efficient at it. I do work on this all day. So it might not be easy for everybody, but once you understand it, I think you could save a lot of money by learning how to do a lot of these things in-house and having an AI specialist on your team. The next food trend I want to talk about is immersive culinary experiences, and Noma piqued my interest with this as they're traveling to Noma, Mexico, Noma, Japan, and so on and so forth. I know the restaurant El Celer de Conroca travels, and they partner with a bank, and they do these pop-ups all over the world, and I see that happening more and more. A friend of mine did a pop-up, and he partnered with an event company, and I want to say he also had an art exhibit partnered with them, and they did this you know, multi-course, 20-course tasting menu extremely expensive, and they sold out. And what's interesting about that is because a lot of the fine dining restaurants, sometimes it becomes unsustainable to do it in one location. But if you partner with an art exhibit or an event company and you take that show on the road, well, now you could have a traveling world-class restaurant or a traveling experience. Now, imagine you could get Alchemist or Noma or Alinea anywhere in the world because they're traveling like a concert. I'm starting to see that. And I definitely think that's going to start picking up steam more in 2024, as well as beyond. It seems like a pretty good business model if you could have your traveling circus of chefs, so to speak, and go to different cities and do that. It, it could be a cash cow, right? You're selling $250, $500 tickets, putting on a crazy event, one night only. Definitely something to think about for chefs, especially world-class chefs that have the opportunity to do that. And if you have a team around you, why couldn't you take the show on the road? I don't know. Something to think about. Next one, I want to talk about Mexico and Mexico City in particular. I think Mexican food is having another moment. And I know they've already had their moment, but I think we just scratched the surface of the different styles of Mexican food. There's everything in the Yucatan. Mexico City has different flavors. Veracruz has different flavors. Oaxaca. And we're starting to discover that there's a lot of different flavors that are unexplored in different regions. There's also the breaking of tradition that you're starting to see in Mexico City. A restaurant in particular that I discussed with my friend Emmanuel from Flavors Unknown is Masala and Maiz in Mexico City, where you have two different cultures blending flavors. So Mexico, flavors of Asia and India all blended together in the Middle East, and you have a new type of cuisine. And I think Mexico City is really pushing the boundaries on what people's perception of Mexican food is. And it's creating a new type of Mexican food. And I think people need to keep their eye out on it. It's like Mexico said, we're not done yet. We got a lot more to show. Which leads into the next trend, fusion. I don't think it's, by the way, I think fusion is a terrible word. And you know, in my era, when we came up, fusion cuisine was like, it was really bad. It, it went sideways and it became a pejorative moving forward when everyone would say that they were doing fusion cuisine. However, I think it's coming back rebranded, there's a new PR team behind fusion cuisine. You're starting to see it. It's a little bit more authentic in terms of the people that are doing the fusion cuisine. You're seeing a lot of couples, like I mentioned, masala and maize, or maybe you have Vietnamese and Filipino through marriage. Shout out to East Meets Wings and Kevin Trong. I went to go eat there. Kevin and Rosie doing great things here in Austin. You see these flavors also in barbecue. Now you're having Mexican style barbecue or African diaspora style barbecue, Middle Eastern style barbecue. It's authentic to them because it's the blending of the two cultures in a very authentic way that doesn't feel cheesy or gimmicky how it did before. So I'd definitely take a look out for fusion cuisine. I definitely think that's coming back in a better way, in a way that hopefully it'll help us forget about the bad fusion cuisine of the nineties. Let's see. The next one, this was really interesting. So I talked to several chef friends of mine And they were talking about the local movement being disrupted. And they're seeing this a lot right now in their restaurants. Because local became such a hot topic and a lot of restaurants started moving to buying local produce, what ended up happening is there's shortages from the local farms. The local farm can't keep up with the demand of the amount of restaurants that want to use local. One friend of mine said, if I buy strictly local, I will wipe them out and they will only give me two days worth of produce for the size of the restaurant that I have. I'm also getting pushback from chefs saying that the local quality of product is not as good as some of the commodity product that they're getting. And the local farms can't keep up and they're running out. And so the chefs are really struggling with the local farmers. It's interesting to see how the farmers are going to pivot or how the chefs are gonna pivot. Either way, it's definitely becoming an issue because the farms can't meet the demand that the chefs need to operate their restaurants. So even though local's not going away, I think it's going to have to be rethought a little bit. What is local and what isn't local on your menu? And people have to understand that not everything is going to be local due to cost, due to quality, due to seasonality, due to supply and demand. The next one was interesting because some people commented on my Instagram post about them no longer serving alcohol. And I know this has been a trend in the younger generations of people coming up is a lot of them are alcohol free. So there's a big movement to have non-alcoholic beverages on the menu. So it's no longer wine and beer centric. There's now interesting mocktails and things like that. A very thoughtful beverage pairing for people that don't drink. And it's not impacting their bottom line because they're still able to serve something that replaces those alcohol sales. And it's still interesting and still complements the menu well. Licenses are hard to get sometimes. A lot of restaurants open without liquor licenses because sometimes liquor licenses are very difficult to get. And you, if you don't know the right people, it could be a very long wait. The next one is food stories. Now, this one kind of ties in with some of the other things that I spoke about with fusion. If there's an interesting story as to why you're serving the fusion, but one of my chef friends said to me, he mostly works on stories, philosophy, narratives, narrative-driven cuisine, and seeing how much that is a part of what you're doing. I think it's Dominic Kren that writes a poem with the menu. That's a pretty cool story, right? So You could read the poem and understand what you're getting. You know, you think about what Noma did for so many years with time and place and everything is forged within X amount of radius around the property. Stories are important. Stories make food taste better. There's a connection with the chef. There's a connection with the food. There's a connection as to why something is being done. And I think chefs that focus on the story are gonna have a significant advantage over those that don't. Your server in your restaurant, if there's a story behind the dish, they are more likely to sell it than if it's just chef just like spaghetti. Chicken Alfredo, I'm sorry, not spaghetti. We digress. Last one I'm gonna talk about, and I did nine deliberately, is chef podcasts, industry podcasts. I'm seeing these pop up everywhere. My friend Chef Susio messaged me and said, chef podcasts is the trend. And it is. There's this one, there's Chef's PSA, Line Cook Thoughts. I have another one called Run the Pass. I plan on having more chef podcasts eventually where I have guests on. So yes, industry podcasts, are going to be a trend. But Chef's PSA is still your five star favorite podcast. Don't forget that. Stay loyal. I'm loyal to you all. Stay loyal to me. Anyway, why did I deliberately leave number 10 off? Because I want to know what you all think. Let me know in the comments. What did I miss? What do you think? What did I get wrong? Granted, I'm throwing darts. I have not read any of the f- typical food blog or typical food magazine's opinions on what 2020 is going to look like. This is just my opinion. So. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, you know what to do if you want to support the show. Make sure you leave five stars. Hit the subscribe button. Nothing less than five stars. Go to chefspsa.com. You get the books. You get the merch. I got you covered. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Let's make it a great 2024. Hit the porno music.